With a great description of discipleship, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. I hear so much talk about discipleship and material, discipleship materials and discipleship classes and mentors and coaches and on and on and on and on. Listen, the Holy Spirit is your discipler and this is how it works. You hear from the Lord, you do it, and then you tell someone else. That's discipleship. Bible study is a part of it. Maybe getting together with another person is a part of it. But you receive, that's what Jesus says, I've given them the words that you gave me, Father. So he received words from the Father. He gave them away. They received them and went out and did them. That's discipleship. That's spiritual maturity. This is amazing grace. Hi there, and welcome to Abounding Grace. Wouldn't it be incredible to actually hear Jesus pray? Well, you can, and today we'll do just that. The Lord is just a short time from the cross in John chapter 17, and he just finished addressing his disciples. Now it's time for a conversation with his heavenly Father. Oh, what a joy it is to eavesdrop on this most glorious conversation. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with part two of The King Prays. John chapter 17, we are going through the gospel of John together, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, growing in our understanding of walking with Messiah, learning from him. I like to place myself in my imagination, walking with him, listening to him, watching him, all the sights, the sounds, the smells, the the situations. And now we've come to chapter 17, where we are listening to the king pray. We're getting insight on prayer. And I know that when we refer to the Lord's Prayer, almost everyone immediately thinks of our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that that is referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And I have nothing against that. But it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's how they were taught to pray. If you want to find the Lord's Prayer, you're going to find it in at least two places. The first one is here in chapter 17. And the other one is when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the Lord's Prayer. That's where we listen in on the king. And he starts out his prayer very different than we normally pray. He starts out by not folding his hand, bowing his head, and closing his eyes. But rather, in a company of many people, he lifts up his eyes, keeps them open, and he prays out loud so that he can talk with the Father in intimacy. But then every one of us that are around him can listen in and learn what was on the heart of Jesus right before the cross, what was on the heart of Jesus right before his betrayal and and how everyone turned against him and ran away from him and how he was beaten and how he spit upon and how the crown of thorns was twisted into his skull, how he died a horrific, torturous death of a criminal as an innocent man, buried, And he rose again. What was on his heart? What was on his mind? And we looked at the first few verses the last time we were together. So let's pick up where we left off in verse 5. Just to overlap our studies. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory 
which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So Jesus came to manifest the name of the Father. He came to reveal. If you haven't already, circle the word manifest and write next to it or on top of it, reveal or to shine forth. That's what something is. When something is manifested, light is shown on it. And Jesus, he didn't reveal the Father in one fell swoop. He didn't come and just give a one-hour seminar on who the Father was, but rather little by little, day by day, act by act, word by word, life experience, he revealed the Father through him so that he could say, if you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. He revealed it little by little, both in word and in deed. That's an important concept to understand in word and in deed. He didn't just say to them and speak the manifestation of the Father, but he did the manifestation of the Father. So that his actions met, his actions met his words. Because when your actions don't meet your words, there's a Bible word for that. What is it? Hypocrite. So let me give you, now I'm giving you the answer. Let me do the quiz again. When your actions don't meet your words, there's a Bible word for it. What is it? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Nobody likes to wake up on Sunday morning and talk about being a hypocrite. But we are. Because I don't want you to be a hypocrite. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's God's heart that you're not a hypocrite. That you don't say one thing and do another. That, that you don't come to a gathering like this and put on a show of appearance and then I don't know when it changes. I don't know if it's the last amen. I don't know if it's when I start talking. I don't know if it's during the last song. I don't know if it's when Pastor Ian puts his guitar away. I don't know if it's when you walk out the building. I don't know if it's when you get in your car. I don't know if it's when you start driving down Hampton. Or, I don't know. But for some, there is a change of behavior where what you say is not matching. What you say is not matching your words and your actions. They're not coming together. And so there is hypocrisy. And it's unfortunate, but so many people say, I don't want anything to do with the things of the Lord. I don't want anything to do with church because it's filled with hypocrites. And in many ways, that's a true statement. I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. Unfortunately, it's the human condition. We need to pray and we need to lay our lives down before the Lord so that we don't live hypocritical lives. That our words, because it just doesn't work. I'm going to tell you, especially to you parents right now, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not going to do what you want accomplished. It's not going to happen. The end result is going to be hard, negative, and difficult if you parent your kids like this. Do as I say, but don't do as I do. It doesn't work. Little life lesson today. It doesn't work. Especially for those of you that name the name of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, can't, you are ruining your kids. And you're ruining the witness of Jesus Christ. If you think that you are going to produce godly children by saying do and by living this way. You may never say, well, I'm off the hook because I don't say that. I don't say those words. But do you live them? Because it doesn't work. The roads of, of life and church life are, 
are scattered with the broken lives of kids that lived in homes where their parents did one thing and said another. Churches hurt people because their leaders say one thing and do another. And we need the Lord to deliver us from this nonsense and come back to, I've manifested your name to those that you have given me out of the world. I like that word give. Jesus speaks of possession. We have been given, the disciples have been given to Jesus. That means you belong to him. In another place in the Bible, it speaks of us being bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And so he's saying, these guys that you have taken, another great phrase in that verse is out of the world. You have been taken out of the world, which is a difficult thing to, con- to consider because we still live in the world. So we've been taken out of the world, but we still live in the world. And you just need to get your, get, get your thoughts straight. You've been taken out of the world spiritually, but you are still in the world physically. And now living as a believer in a hostile environment requires a submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus, this is on his heart as he's praying. His last final words, some of his final words in prayer in intimacy to the Father is, man, I've done what you've asked me to do with these guys. I fulfilled your call with this group of people. It's so good to be able to say that. Not only that, but notice at the end of verse six, he says something that is interesting as well. He says, he looks at his disciples and he says, they've kept your word. He's talking to the father here in this high priestly prayer. And he says, they have kept your word. Really? Because the Bible that I'm studying, when I look at these guys, man, I don't quite see them keeping his word. Do you? I mean, think of Peter. How many things that are recorded for us from Peter's life? I mean, didn't Jesus turn around to Peter and say, get behind me, you holy, mighty man of God? No, he didn't say that. He said, get behind me. See, he called the dude Satan. But he kept his word. Or how about the sons of Zebedee? We know them as James and John. We remember the time where they were filled with holy, righteous piety and wanted to kill people. Take them out. In Jesus' name, of course. And what did Jesus nickname them? The sons of love and kindness and joy. No way. What are they called? The sons of thunder for good reason. They were a little messed up. But these guys kept it. Well, let's broaden it for a little bit. Let's, let's, let's open it up, not just to the disciples, but what about David? David go down, goes down in history as a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart? The David? David, the failure as a father? David, the person that didn't always tell the truth? David, the person that saw a woman and lusted after her? David, the one that committed adultery? David, the one that conspired to murder? David, the one that helped to carry it out? David, the one that... Shall I go on? And he goes down as a person after God's own heart? How about Rahab? She goes down, if you read through and you're looking for Rahab in the Old Testament, she's Rahab the pure... Oh, oh, no, she's not. She's Rahab the the harlot, the prostitute. And on and on that list can go. So I learned something from this, and so do you. Evidently, God, God sees things differently than you and I do. Because I know, I know in my own life, I have a tendency to see things 
Well, I have a tendency to see my own mistakes. You know, ever since my son passed away, I wasn't a real big journaler, but even starting one, he was in the hospital, and I would spend the night with, all night with him. I started journaling, and I'm so glad I did to write my thoughts down. And, you know, one day somebody's going to read my journal after I pass on and go to, I'm sorry for whoever reads it because you're going to find out things about me that you really, you're just going to be, what? You thought what? And you went through what? And you said what? And I say, yes. But then some of you are putting a journal together. I don't want to read yours either, so we're good. (laughs) But the raw, some of what I write is raw. Some of what I'm writing out in prayer is just hard. And, and all I, there are seasons in my journal. I'm sure if I charted them and put them into a graph or something, there'd be some really neat highs, and then there'd be really deep lows where all I see is my own faults and my own failures, and all I see is my own weaknesses, and all I see is my own difficulties, and my own stupidity, and my own just, just all of that. And I wonder if you're not the same where it's easier for you to see your faults and failures than it is, let me tell you, when Jesus sees you, sister, when Jesus sees you, brother, when Jesus sees you and me, he says, they've kept my word. That's pretty encouraging to me. We need to learn how to see ourselves in that same way. To look for the good in ourselves and in others. To not walk under the level of condemnation, but by faith to accept the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And not to condemn ourselves. Because the enemy loves to condemn. The enemy loves to lie. He loves to throw accusations around. But but that's not the Lord. When the Lord prays and he prays for you, he tells the Father, they kept my word. And where they have failed, failed, I have gotten them back up. That's what the Bible says. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. Some of you can't see good in you so bad that you think about, well, wait a minute, it says seven times. What if they fall the eighth time? But it's a principle, not a number. (laughs) Just like when Jesus was teaching forgiveness, 70 times 7, it's a principle. It's not a number. The idea is no matter how much you fall, the Lord is there to pick you up. And I like that. God sees you differently than you even see yourself. And it's good to see ourselves at the eyes of Christ. But really, if I had to say, what was it that kept them staying strong? What was it, even in their failures, what was it that that at the end of their life they could be looked at and say, I've kept my word as Jesus is finishing his life on earth and he's praying to the Father. What was it? What what is it for you and me that we can stay strong in the things of God? And even if we fall and even if we fail and even if we aren't able to see anything good but we can only see the bad, what's the key to get out of it? One word, repentance. Repentance. I believe that they understood repentance. You really see that between the life of Peter and the life of Judas. Because Peter repented unto the Lord and God used him greatly. Judas repented to himself and his life ended tragically. It's a whole different Bible study altogether. But here's the deal. Repentance is very important. And like love, it's often misunderstood. Love, you know, when I mention love, automatically there's thoughts of romance and your favorite chick flick and love, oh love, and hearts and all bubbles and everything great about love. But love is not primarily an emotion. Love is an action. And it's not so romantic as an action. Love is an action. That's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he felt really good for you. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. He acted on it. 1 Corinthians 13 describes love and the actions of love. Galatians speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Love is an action. Repentance is also not an emotion. It's an action. You can't just feel bad about something. You need to feel bad enough to change. 
That's repentance. Feeling bad can be known as self-pity. Feeling bad enough to change, that's repentance. And so do away with these words in your vocabulary, would you? Please stop telling people, I'm sorry. Now, I don't want to get all technical, and I understand that you can say sorry and mean it, but most of the time, when somebody says, I'm sorry, they're just trying to get out of it, trying to wiggle out of it. I'm so, you know, you'll hear something like, I'm so sorry that what I said made you hurt so bad. What do you mean? It's not about me hurting. It's about what you said. You lied about me. You, 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 you called me a name to my face. You talked about me behind my back. It's not about how I felt. You sinned against a holy and righteous God and against me. It's more than I'm just sorry. I was raising my kids. We taught my kids, don't say I'm sorry. Instead, instead say, will you forgive me for punching you in the face and causing much blood to get on mom's carpet? But you get the point. Will you forgive me and then insert the sin that you did to the other person? Don't make excuses. I'm so sorry that you got me so mad. And would you please forgive me because you got me so mad that I punched you in the face. That's not repentance. And, and it's sad that that's what it's become today. Again, overlapping this little theme of parenting, your parents need to see you repent. It's not enough to say, I'm just so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Your parents, your kids need to see you repent. Just like this whole idea of saying and doing, not matching up isn't going to work. If you don't repent in front of your kids, that's not going to work either. It's like, oh, you just made me so mad that daddy had to throw the chair at you. No. And that's, that's violent. That's criminal. It's not from the Lord. You get down, if your kids are still young, you get down on your knees, you look them in the face and you say, will you please forgive daddy? For being so angry and out of control. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God and I want you to pray for me. Your kids will just absolutely respond in a positive way. They'll probably run upstairs and say, you will not believe what dad just did. We've been praying for him and praying for him and praying for him and today was the day that God answered our prayer and he asked for forgiveness and I forgave him and we cried and I laid hands on my own dad and I prayed for him. Listen, God can turn something so evil around for good if you, dad and mom, just walk in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Repentance. Repentance. Because none of us are perfect. When you think of, they kept my word, don't think of it as, man, we're all perfect. We all have everything together. You know, we don't. We stumble and fall so much we don't even pay attention sometimes. The reason why we can see so many things in our lives is because there is so many things in our lives and yet God still loves us. And he thinks is the best of us. And he's taking us to a higher plane. He's taking us from glory to glory and strength to strength. He's not taking us from glory to the gutter. He's not dismissing you and throwing you away, but rather wants to wash you with the water of the word. And he wants to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you and strengthen you and give you hope and give your kids hope and give your grandkids hope and give your neighbors hope and change your community one person at a time before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's in Jesus' prayer here. Not only that, notice, it says in verse 8, For I have given to them the words which you have given to me, and they have received them, and known surely that I came forth from you, that they believe that you sent me. Next to this verse, in verse 8, you could write the word discipleship. This is one of the best definitions of discipleship in all of the Bible. And I'm going to give you another one before before we go, because this is where we're going to end our time today. Discipleship. 
I hear so much talk about discipleship and material, discipleship materials and discipleship classes and mentors and coaches and on and on and on and on. Listen, the Holy Spirit is your discipler and this is how it works. You hear from the Lord, you do it, and then you tell someone else. That's discipleship. Bible study is a part of it. Maybe getting together with another person is a part of it. But you receive, that's what Jesus says, I've given them the words that you gave me, Father. So he received words from the Father. He gave them away. They received them and went out and did them. That's discipleship. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not measured by how many times you go to church, how many prayers you pray, how how long you've been a believer, how much of a history your family has walking with the Lord. None of that is maturity. Maturity is measured by simply your level of obedience. That means that a person could be walking with the Lord for 25 years and be immature. (laughs) Wow. Think about that today. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. We're in the midst of a mini-series called The King Praise, which is part of our larger study in the Gospel of John. Just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web, AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five Minute Apologetics for Today. Now, the book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Now, you may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's work over the radio and the Internet and will be prayerfully and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation and around the world grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, Pastor Ed, you mentioned earlier in your message that you journal, and you've been doing that since your son Eddie passed away. Would you speak for a minute about the benefits of doing this sort of thing, and how would our listeners get started with that? Yeah, you know, Larry, in my entirety of my life, I wasn't a big journaler ever, never, ever. But after my son passed away, I had so much inside of me that I needed an, a safe outlet to get it out of me. Um, it wasn't things that my wife could handle. It wasn't things that my friend could handle. I mean, just so much frustrations, uh, situations, details. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you're going through pain that you have a tendency to forget things uh, later on, but when you write them down, and so I have a clear journal of the last nine years of my life. Um, especially in those very hard and difficult days and all the decisions and things that were made in the hospital and all of that, I was able to write out. And one of the benefits of writing it out is that it gets out of you. You don't have to carry it anymore. And you don't have to, in your mind, think, I've got to remember all these things the rest of my life. Well, you don't need to remember anything that you've written down. Uh, It's there. 
for all all time. It's there that you can recall. I was actually pulling out some things happened recently. I had to go back and pull some things out about our time in the hospital. And, you know, in this world that we live in, people like to gaslight and say, oh, that didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. I'm like, hey, bro, I wrote it down in the moment it happened. I know what happened. And it recall, it brings you back right to that moment, you know. And it also is a journal of prayer, you know, as I'm writing, I'm talking to the Lord. Or sometimes even in that journal, I'm like, man, after I pass away and people pull this journal out, they're going to find out just how hard it really was. But you know what they're going to find out is that the Lord is faithful. And so write it down. You can do it on your iPad, you can do it on your computer, you can do it with your, you know, if you want to write it out with on paper and a little journal notebook, um, but it, there's no real goal, there's no real model, just write down what you're thinking, today was a good day, today was a bad day, I've got this emotion I'm dealing with, Lord, help me, and I know the Lord will use it. Ah, that is very helpful, Pastor Ed. Thanks again. Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.